Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's Global Data Pod. I'm Nora Santivani and joining me today is Michael Hansen from the US. Hey, Mike. Hey, Nora. How are you? I'm all right. So in, in today's uh, research wrap, we are going to do, you know, discussion of global inflation developments after the release of the Global Inflation Monitor. We now have the full set of April CPI releases to hand, so uh, we'll be providing an update of how we're seeing global inflation developments and how the data are shaping our views ahead here. So what we can see at the global level is that headline CPI gains held pretty steady in April at 0.3% month on month. And that was largely fueled by another firm reading on core CPI, which is running at 0.4 on the month. If we take China out of it, then things are looking stronger. China here is uh, you know, still a very strong uh, disinflationary impulse. Excluding China, core inflation is running at a 5.5% annualized pace. And you know, that's, that's a pretty elevated rate here, clearly well above comfort zones uh, for, for central banks. And it's been holding in that range pretty much since the start of the year. If anything, it's um, ticked a little bit higher. So core inflation is still very much the con concern here and the stickiness of it. Outside of core, things are looking a little bit more promising. We have had uh, a large disinflationary impulse from energy that is uh, still still with us in April. Uh, but the big mover really has been food and, you know, food inflation uh, decelerated quite sharply here in April. So, you know, the, the top line summary here is sticky core, uh, but clear disinflation in some other components that overall is helping headline inflation uh, come off to about a 3% annualized pace. Uh, in April, and if you exclude China, then it's something like 4%. So there is a downtrend on on headline, but uh, stickiness in core. Yeah, I think that it's it's very clear that that, that dichotomy between core and the and the non the main non-core components of food and energy is is become fairly striking, right? Um, you know, you've had obviously a, a notable move down in, in energy prices, um, and that has been reflected to some extent with a lag. Uh, depending on the country and in, in declining uh, uh, energy inflation or energy contribution to inflation. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, the, the really the big mover more recently has been a, a notable slowing in, in food, right? Court uh, energy's come off uh, for a little bit now. But food has really more recently been that kind of the bigger move to bring down headline. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, like you mentioned, core is still very sticky. Yeah, I think for me, food was really the the bigger surprise. I mean, we'd been monitoring food inflation for a while. All our models were telling us it should have slowed quite sharply by now. It wasn't really happening through, say, the first quarter of the year. But then the past two months or so, we're definitely seeing signs of food inflation coming off. And actually, in April, food prices rose just 0.1% on the month. And outside of China, they were they were actually flat. So that's the weakest reading we've had in, in two years. And we've had a bunch of countries where actually food prices fell outright on the month. Right. And, you know, looking forward, I think we're going to continue to see food inflation slow further from here. If you look at the FAO Global Food Price Index, for example, that's on track for another uh, you know, 1% drop in May. Cumulatively, we're talking here over 20% decline. And, um, you know, I think we can continue to see food inflation easing here uh, with a couple of exceptions like the UK, which was an absolute shocker. Right. right, <laughs> um, right. So, yeah, food is disinflationary on energy. You know, as you say, um, probably, you know, most of the disinflationary impulse 
is um, behind us, but it's not completely over. If you look at and crude um, in May, we're tracking you know another over 4% down on the month. So after a bit of a breather in April where uh, energy consumer energy prices didn't really do much on the month, I think it may, we could have another small decline. But certainly the risk is that in the second half, we get a little bit of a rebound and, and that um, big disinflationary impulse is going to turn into a modest lift potentially. But a lot of that does hinge on Brent crude rebounding in line with our forecast, which doesn't seem to be happening for the time being. Right. No, that's totally fair. Yep. You are seeing uh, in the U.S., you did get a bit of a pickup in, in gasoline prices uh, in April. And they've come off some in May, although May is still as higher than it's been in, in the last six months. So on the month on month basis, we're probably a little slow in the U.S. side on energy. But, uh, you know, if you look at a three month or six month basis, you're still actually showing some signs of picking back up. Gasoline prices in the U.S. bombed out in December, for example. So, yeah. So should we talk about core inflation, Mike? I mean, elephant in the room, right? <laughs> for sure. Okay, so uh, look, I think um, on, on core, uh, clearly the stickiness in services inflation is, is the problematic area for central banks. But let me start first with core goods. And there, yep. you know, things are holding in uh, at around uh, 3.5% uh, annualized pace here. So at the global level, there's not much movement, but there's a lot of regional variation in that. So right. that's able global aggregate masks very large uh, swings at the country level. So in, in the US, um, and then we'll come to the details with you in a minute, we have seen a very large upswing in core goods inflation from deflation into positive uh, territory. Several other DM economies like Japan, UK, Canada as well are seeing acceleration in core goods. But in contrast to that, in Western Europe and in emerging markets, both um, China and outside of China, we are seeing a slowing in core goods. Goods, albeit from very high levels. So we're coming off from, say, a 6% pace down to about 4 And that's consistent with this regional rotation that we've been flagging. And I think that dynamic is probably going to uh, remain in place here. I think um, that is perhaps a little bit surprising. We've been talking a lot about the weakness in manufacturing, the slowing in business spending, maybe a turn towards caution on the part of uh, businesses. And that along with this very significant fading of global supply chain pressures and pricing right. um, should be giving us more of a slowdown in core goods inflation, which we really haven't had until now. As I mentioned, we're holding at this three and a half percent rate, which is still significantly above where we had been historically, which was more like below one percent. Right. So in my mind, what is preventing global core goods inflation from, you know, slowing and aligning with, you know, this message we're getting from these other uh, indicators, maybe it's the U.S., right? Because U.S. is rebounding. So I'd love right. to hear from you your thoughts on uh, whether the U.S. is actually going to prevent us here from from slowing further in, in overall, you know, global core goods inflation. Right. Well, U.S. It certainly is the biggest, probably the biggest piece of that. As you mentioned, Japan showing significant move up as well, right? Whereas, for example, in, in much of Europe, you're seeing this rotation away from what had been surprisingly strong or persistently strong core goods inflation for a time to now shifting away from core goods towards core services. We'll spend a, a few more minutes on services uh, shortly. But in, in the U.S., it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's certainly going in the opposite direction of much of the rest of the world. Uh, you did have core goods inflation turn uh, slightly negative. Uh, the kind of long run pre-pandemic average for core goods, both in the U.S. and globally, is effectively zero. 
Um, but more recently, you saw a decent move back up in the U.S. measure. Um, and I think there's a couple of factors there. I think that, to your point, the supply chain uh, easing has been a notable source in helping bring um, prices down. But it looks like um, the extent of the supply chain easing either hasn't fully passed through or is being offset by other factors. And, and in the latter ones, what you clearly see in the U.S. data, for example, was uh, new vehicle prices jumped up quite a bit. And that, I think, is consistent with the idea of supply chain still kind of working their way through against a backdrop of very strong demand still. Um, the other interesting kind of wrinkle in this uh, that you and I talked about a little bit earlier offline is that the U.S. dollar peaked back in November. Significant part of the goods disinflation in the U.S. story had been the fact that you had dollar strength uh, for much of last year. Uh, and now that's going in a bit of an opposite direction. Uh, and certainly you could see uh, a more significant move over the next several months back to the upside in, from imported goods prices in the U.S., given what's happened with the dollar and given the understanding of kind of the normal lags about how that that transmits through. So to the extent the dollar, obviously the U.S. has a big share, um, you know, that could be going in a little bit of opposite direction of what's happening elsewhere on the globe. Yeah. OK, so maybe overall we shouldn't be pushing too much of further significant disinflation in core goods from here. And it, it feels like things could settle around this three to three and a half percent range if um, what you're saying for the U.S. holds true. Yeah, I think it's certainly possible. In particular, I, I, probably the case that much of the disinflation from the easing of supply constraints is behind us. Right? Mm. Okay. All right. So uh, services, right? That's the juicy thing that <laughs> we need to discuss here. As far as central banks are concerned, uh, this is where they're hoping to see more action, but they're not really getting it. Um, what I will say is at the global level, there was a little bit movement lower in April on the three-month run rate uh, of services. Um, so we came down to 5.2% annualized from six, if you exclude China, uh, there's a there's a level shift higher, but still cooling off a little bit here, but clearly way too high for comfort and, and much higher than central banks would like to see. It feels like the part of services inflation that is cooling is more housing related items, which I guess is not surprising given the very aggressive rate hikes we've had. And then a couple of other volatile items, um, you know, things like airfares, healthcare insurance um, that we've right. highlighted in the U.S. And um, the U.K. stands out with an 11% surge in services CPI. So I thought I would put that number out there just for comparison. Uh, but, you know, but in the U.S., so super core inflation, um, likewise, as I mentioned, has slowed. But is that going to bring relief to the Fed or is there more than meets the eye here? Are, are we out of the woods as far as services is concerned? Is it now slowing or is this just um, destroyed by a couple of one-offs? What's your sense? Yeah, I think the, I think the big picture here is while, it, while it's slowing, it's quite arguably not slowing enough to make the Fed comfortable just yet. And you certain, certainly have heard uh, some Fed officials in recent days and weeks make that argument, right? Um, I think if you if you kind of step back, certainly in, in the DM, and I think this might be true in, in parts of the EM as well, the fact that labor markets still remain fairly tight um, and you're still seeing, you know, fairly strong um, job growth, very low unemployment rates, a number of indicators of labor market tightness in terms of things like uh, vacancy rates or survey measures of demand. They're all pointing to this idea that that is translating into uh, some more meaningful uh, continued upward pressure on uh, core services, particularly core services like shelter. In the UK, 
by the way, kind of matches that pattern in the sense that UK wage numbers of late have been really strong amongst the DM economies. So perhaps not surprising that UK services inflation also has been very strong amongst the DM. If we pivot a little bit to the US story, um, as you mentioned, there's a couple of factors that have you know, been somewhat volatile uh, that had kind of swung these numbers around a little bit. But if we think about the so-called you know, super core, which is core services X some measure of shelter or housing, um, they've cooled, but they haven't cooled dramatically. Uh, you know, on the on the CPI front, you've seen it it come down a bit, a decent bit even, because you were running at rates kind of in the mid sixes for late last year on a on like an OIA basis, um, and now you're down to about five on a three month um, annualized basis. The slowing has not been quite as dramatic, but there's been some slowing. You you peaked at about. 4.6% back in October. Um, you had a bit of a cooling in the summer. It was obviously much stronger earlier in the year, which gives you that OIA. And we're down about 3.8 in the on the CPI front. Uh, and so that's kind of encouraging. And that, that has come off over the last several um, uh, months from where it was earlier. But if you look at the PCE measure, and we'll get uh, an April PCI report tomorrow, PCE report, excuse me, from the Fed for the Fed tomorrow, that's the measure the Fed pays more attention to than the CPI. That has shown much less of a deceleration um, on both a, uh, an OIA and a three-month basis. It's been annualized basis. It's been running somewhere in the low fours for quite a while now. It's not showing the kind of deceleration you saw in the CPI. There are some meaningful differences between the CPI and the PCE. You, you alluded to one of them, the, the way in which uh, um, health insurance is counted, has been, I think, much more of a disinflationary impulse for the CPI than for the PCE. But given that the Fed's inflation mandate is around the latter, and PCE super core measures have not shown that much downward movement, I think that is challenging Fed officials' hopes that they can sort of, you know, remain on hold going forward. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, we often get asked the question, so there's this super core measure, but if we talk about a super, super core, which basically also excludes um, health insurance, airfares, what right. we've seen is that actually that part of the CPI has seen its strongest gains of the year on the month, right? So that's correct. Point, that part is very sticky. So we often get asked, is that really what we should focus on? Um, it feels like that could actually be quite a relevant one as it seems to tie in better with the message from the PCE um, that you're that you're alluding to. Um, maybe we should yep. pick a bit to uh, the central banks and where does this leave us, right? Where After seeing all the April inflation numbers, do we feel like risk biases are changing? What's the messaging? I mean, one obvious one to highlight, of course, is the UK where we've just right. had Chakra of a print um, in April, and core prices were up, you know, 1.1% on the month. Um, I think what's very clear now, um, as Alan Monks, our UK economist, is highlighting, that strong wage gains and pricing power are leaving us with a more domestically um, generated inflation problem here that will require perhaps a very large negative shock uh, to growth to get us back <laughs> towards the target. So the BOE feels like it needs to be uh, doing more. And he has added, um, Alan has added another uh, 25 basis point hike um, in, in August. Right. There, so it would take rates up to 5%. So I think that was the, the sort of big change sparked by the April prints. 
Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I think to the downside, you know, uh, Central Eastern Europe look, looks like it's had a, a bit of a turnaround here, largely led by food inflation for the time being. But we are starting to see some reaction. For example, National Bank of Hungary uh, started easing uh, monetary policy, uh, even though it's more of a technical adjustment for the time being. Um, but there's kind of a move towards uh, easing there. And then um, a lot of time has been a little bit more of a mixed picture, but I think we're getting slightly more encouraging news as well um, out of Mexico relative to where we saw things tracking before. So that should allow them to stay on hold here and maybe even move to cut a little bit earlier than what we had before. Any other ones that stand out for you, Mike, this month? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting big picture wise is it, it, if we go back towards earlier this year, it does feel like there was maybe a little bit more momentum to both DM and a range of DM and EM central banks that might be either pausing or, or talking about cuts earlier than we're now thinking about as likely for some of these central banks. I think the risk bias and um, DM in particular still remains very heavily skewed to the upside in terms of, of more hikes, right? So, um, you know, as you mentioned, Alan added another 25 and, you know, talking to him, it feels like he's not so sure that that's going to be enough. Um, and the, certainly the market is pricing a fair bit more for the Bank of England. Similarly, we've got two more 25 rate hikes uh, currently in the forecast for the ECB to take them to, to 375. Um, and it feels like there's you know some possibility that uh, the data could pressure them uh, on that front as well, though. The recent communication suggests they, they may want to go more gradually. Just from the CPI prints, we didn't really go into the euro area, but I think what was interesting is even though we had, um, so we did have core goods inflation coming up, there seems to be a little bit of a rotation now where service exactly. inflation is actually picking up more strongly. And certainly right. that would be of some concern uh, to the ECB here. So, I, yeah, I agree. That's certainly the, the risk. And in there. that context, you are seeing more signs of, of wage growth remaining stronger and potentially itself stickier in the euro area. Right. I think one of the things that's interesting about you know our current views around the, the inflation outlook in Europe is we're not really expecting much of a second round effect from wages back into subsequent inflation. And there's certainly a risk. I certainly think this is something that at least the hawks in the ECB are concerned about, right, that that could happen. In the U.S., we've been talking for a while now about the possibility that you could get some sort of a reset in the wage and price setting dynamics, the wage and price setting psychology uh, that would potentially leave you with inflation kind of uh, at sticky at a level that the Fed would ultimately be uncomfortable with. So the, the concern is the numbers through April are not, you know, are not going against that story. Um, and like we mentioned earlier, there have been some officials talking about the idea that the uh, a pause in June, which is a, a is our base case, could end up just being a, a skip and that there's yet more hikes to come. We'll obviously have to see how the data plays out. That's not our baseline scenario. Um, the yeah. similar story, I think, in some of the other smaller uh, DM economies, Canada as well has maintained a, a hawkish bias. And so far, the Canadian data has probably been the most favorable in terms of inflation cooling. But even there, it's not clear that some of the recent data, both on the inflation and labor market front, whether the Bank of Canada will ultimately have to do a little bit more. So I, I think it still continues to keep biases towards uh, hawkish stances. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's probably a good point for us to 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 start wrapping up here. Uh, so yeah, so overall headline inflation momentum is coming off, uh, but core is very sticky uh, in terms of our forecast for what it's worth. We we don't have much of an easing in in core inflation in the current quarter, and you know next quarter we get a little bit closer down to four. Um, again, this is with China included, so a bit of a moderation, but uh, clearly still very high and. 
uh, too high for comfort. Headline will depend a lot on energy, I think. Uh, currently, we do have headline inflation momentum reaccelerating a bit next quarter. Uh, that's on the back of a rebound in energy prices. But I guess if that doesn't happen, then headline momentum could stay, you know, more or less stable here. Uh, the big movement is really on over-year-ago inflation rates. As we mentioned before, the base effects are still running through here from last year's commodity price shock. So we have another, um, you know, roughly one percentage point move down in over-year-ago headline inflation rates by June. Core inflation coming off maybe 0.3, so a little bit less. Um, and then at the end of the year, we should be sitting here with headline and core at roughly 3.5% over a year ago. So that's still, you know, one and a half percentage point above central bank targets. So that's kind of how we see things panning out uh, for the rest of the year. And as you say, that will keep most central banks, especially in DM, biased um, to tighten further or at least um, not shift to easing. So let's let's wrap up there. Thank you very much, Mike, for uh, for joining me, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And we hope to continue the conversation in the next research app. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to J.P. Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on May 25, 2023.